there are people that come into our lives and completely change us. Maybe it's a teacher or coach who really believe in us and encourage us in ways our families haven't. Or maybe it's a friendship, a friendship that starts under unusual circumstances or in a place you'd least expect. But that friend becomes someone who changes your life. That friend teaches you something about the world around you and teaches you something about yourself. That friend challenges you to do something radical, not in like a party hard way, but like the world changing, community building, life altering way. Maybe it's that friend you can have real conversations with, you can speak life and truth to. Can you think of that friend? Now, what if that friend didn't even speak your native language? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just all-around amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Amy Blair, the founder of Batik Boutique. After moving to Malaysia in 2007, Amy befriended a single mother who helped teach Amy the language and through their friendship, conversations, and the opening of doors, Amy began Batik Boutique, a business with a vision to provide sustainable income opportunities for women and artisans in Malaysia. I loved my conversation with Amy, and I know you will too. By the way, if you're interested in checking out Batik Boutique, Amy has so generously given my listeners an exclusive coupon code of MOLLY20 for 20% off. That's batikboutique.com, B-A-T-I-K boutique.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Amy, welcome to the show. Hey, Molly, thanks for having me. I am really excited that you are actually stateside. Not that I think it's bad when you're in Malaysia, but I think I'm excited that uh, to talk with you stateside uh, and be able to connect while you're here in the U.S. And I can't wait to hear all about you and your story and Batik Boutique. And, and you actually fly back to, by the time this airs, you will be back in Malaysia. But you fly back soon, right? Yeah, in just um, about four days, I think we head back. Oh my goodness. Now, how have you, how long have you been here right now? Um, I, well, I've been in Texas here for about three weeks. Oh, okay, cool. Did, were you just coming back to come back and visit or were you coming back for, you know, fun or uh, work? <laughs> uh, a little bit of all of that. We, of- I had a baby, I had a baby um, six months ago, my oh, third child. Congratulations. Yeah, so thank you. And my parents had actually not met her yet. And so part of what we came back for is to connect with our family. And also I meet with some of our clients that we manufacture for and sell products to here in the U.S. So it's a it's kind of all connected. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Well, I love, love, love following Batik Boutique online. And I cannot wait to hear all about you and how you got involved. So, Amy, I'm going to have you do what all my guests do, and that's give us the Amy 101. So tell us tell us your story. Where where, where are you from? How did you grow <laughs> up? And um, what are all the things that led you to starting Batik Boutique? And give us the uh, the elevator pitch for what Batik Boutique is. Sure. Um, well, I'm originally from Texas, and I went to school at Texas A&M. That seems like many, many years ago now. Okay, go, um, I met go my Aggies. husband there. <laughs> yeah, Giggum. Giggum. And um, I had a degree in communication and tourism. And one of the things I did after I graduated was I traveled the world actually for a ministry and I helped different churches connect um, globally and help them know about how to be culturally sensitive and other 
um, cultures and different contexts. And I just really loved it. I love people. And it's just the way I've been wired where I want to see what makes people tick. What, how, why did they make decisions that they make? Why did they think the way they do? It's yeah. really fascinating to me. So I've always just been in love with different cultures and thought maybe someday I'll, I'll do something more with that. And then if you fast forward till about 2007, 2007 um, my husband and I married two years, um, newlyweds, kind of no children yet. We had this opportunity to move to Malaysia wow. with some family friends of ours to open a regional training office there. So it seemed like a good idea. Um, we lived we lived on an island actually in Malaysia, which sounded even better. <laughs> and, wow. Um, yeah. And so we worked there for a couple of years and he did a master's degree and we both learned, um, we just dove right in. You know, we, we just wanted to like, we wanted to eat what they eat, to um, wear what they wear, to understand everything we could about their context and the culture and the language. And so um, I think that really impacted us because as Americans, we had never really, truly learned another language. I mean, we took Spanish, I think, in high school, but that didn't get, you know, I yeah. probably couldn't have carried on a conversation with anyone <laughs> yeah. still. So this was a really unique opportunity, and I fell in love with just the whole thing. And um, we started a family there, and kind of one thing led to another, and we found ourselves moved to the capital, um, which is Kuala Lumpur. And at the time, I was staying at home with our one-year-old, and my husband was working there. And an opportunity came up where I met a single mom who lived literally five minutes down the road from me. And um, she was a local woman. She's Malaysian. And she was needing extra income and work. But at the, I didn't really have any extra work for her, except I thought, oh, maybe she can help me learn the language more. She can, you know, teach me. Um, Bahasa, Malaysia is the language. So she came over every day and we just sat around the table drinking tea and talking. And um, my son, you know, became really close to her because we don't have family, you know, in the context there. And along the way, as I began to understand her language and her heart more, I began to understand her struggles. So Mm. she was a single mom. Her husband had left um, and he had remarried and she was left, you know, with these kids to take care of by herself Um, and she was working really hard all hours of the day, but yet she was in this cycle that, you know, just, I, I couldn't see how she could get out of it just by what she was currently doing. So as we became friends, I mean, really, this is where Bati Boutique started was out of a friendship with this woman and her name's Anna. And, um, when Anna began telling me, you know, some of her struggles, I began thinking, well, what can she do? Like, you know, what, what else could she do? And I thought first, like, well, could she bake? Like, could she, could she make some cookies? Can I sell them to my friends? Like what's some way I can tangibly help her. And that's when I found out that she had a sewing machine. And so previous to this, I had worked when we first lived on the Island, I worked in tourism and we, um, part of what I did was like, I did reviews for resorts and hotels. Mm -hmm. And I realized that something in Malaysia, we have artisans and crafters and, um, people are highly skilled in their art, but I never, I saw this gap in the market from getting what they can do and their skill set to the end product that's actually sold. So I always thought someone should do something about that, like to provide a, you know, a quality souvenir. So when I remembered my friend had this sewing machine, um, we merged the two and then we used this fabric called Batik which is a hand-blocked fabric from Malaysia. And so that's literally the beginning of Batik Boutique was really spurred from this project that I just wanted to help a friend of mine out. And wow. it seemed logical to use Batik, and it yeah. seemed logical because she had a sewing machine. So there we were. So, and you said the fabric you got from the market? Or, sorry, I, I didn't understand where you exactly where you like started oh. getting the actual raw materials. 
Well, that's a funny story. So originally, I mean, I didn't know anything about textiles. You know, my background was in, I did trainings and, you know, uh, customer service and facilities, you know, improvement. So here I am. And um, so at first, she and I just went downtown and we live, you know, in the capital. We went downtown to this area that sold just different, it was like fabric stores. Yeah. And I thought I was buying what was batik because of the motifs on them. So we just picked up whatever we thought was kind of pretty and looked, looked Malaysian. Um, fast forward when I really wanted to start the business and, and use Batik since we named ourselves Batik Boutique. Um, then I realized I was actually buying machine produced fabrics that are digitally printed and they're not actually the authentic Batik. But again, most people didn't even know. I mean, even Malaysians sometimes don't know the difference. So, um, I ended up going on this, uh, huge trip. I connected with people who are on the East coast of Malaysia. That's where most of the fabric is actually blocked and printed. And I went out, my friends just took me there. I literally had, I remember I standing in a rice field with my husband and now I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old. He was strapped, my one-year-old strapped on my chest, you know, and we're standing in the middle of this big rice field and someone said, oh, it's out there. This factory, quote, factory is out there. And I looked out in the distance and there's this wooden like village house. And I'm thinking, how in the world are they making anything there? So we just literally, I mean, we just literally walked out there. Um, there were there were a couple of times where I'm like, if my mom like knew where I was right now, like, <laughs> she might not like this. But there we go with our two little babies. And um, we just went on this big journey throughout Malaysia on the East Coast, like looking for suppliers, looking for vendors. We connected with the, it's most of Batik is produced in family run businesses. Mm. So we just connected with families and um, it's mostly done like it's in their house is one of the buildings and then next to it, they build some other kind of shed type thing for the blocking. And then they, you need lots of space to dry the fabrics and to boil them off. And um, so, yeah, they're just done in the villages there. So we went and we just made relationship and friendship with people. And so that's like, that's how we originally got started. That's so cool. Now, for people that don't know, what is Batik and how is it done? And yeah, tell us a little bit what, what you know about the history of Batik and, and how it works. Well, um, Batik is is specific to Southeast Asia. So mm-hmm. it originated in Indonesia area. So it's uh, Javanese. And it's a type art form that's done. Other countries and regions do a similar form. Some even call it Batik. But What's unique about the process that we do is um, compared to like in India where they use a block and ink and they stamp on fabric. Yeah. What we're we're doing, it's a similar method, but it's more complicated, actually. So we take these blocks, these stamps, and you dip them in uh, melted wax and then you like stamp them in a um, repetitive pattern on top of the fabric that you're using. And then you would paint them on top of that. So it's done in layers. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you would dye a solid piece first and then block the wax on top and then paint again and then block wax on top. Um, and then whenever you finish with that and it dries, you have to boil off the wax and it's like candle wax in a sense, you know, it's from a beeswax and, um, it boils off and what's, it's a wax resist. So what's left underneath the wax is the, you know, the original color or the layer of color that you put on. So Malaysians love colorful things and, um, the more colorful the batik, actually, the more complicated the process. Wow. And, um, yeah. That's so cool. And it's always when I learn about stuff like that, especially in other cultures, I go, how did they figure out to do that? Like, like <laughs> yeah, you know, like exactly. what was some person back when batik, the, the, you know, when it was invented, however long ago, they were just like, oh, let me put this wax on here with some dye. Like, I mean, how would yeah. you even think to do that? I'm so fascinated by that stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they use, you know, they originated from natural dyes in particular, you know, so they were boiling leaves. And um, the thing is in Southeast Asia and that region, it's tropical, right? So um, most of the inspiration, they also, there's another type, um, it's kind of like this, it looks like a pipe and you put the wax in it and you draw with it, which is even more complicated than the stamping and the blocks yeah. and more time consuming. So a lot of the inspiration, if you'll look at actual um, Malaysian or Indonesian batik, you'll see inspiration coming from nature because I think really they were inspired by these natural dyes and um, their drawings and things they developed. Often it will be flora or fauna. Yeah. Um, sometimes there's, you know, um, butterflies or things like that too, but it's inspired from the region around them. That's so cool. So yeah. I know you guys started in 2013. Obviously, you you mentioned that you guys moved to Malaysia in 2007. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what did that look like in the early days when you you said that you met you met your friend um, Anna and or Anna and, um, you know, you saw this opportunity to help your friend. At what point did you think, okay, I think this is going to be the this is going to be my business, and I'm going to really pursue this? And what did those early days of starting the business look like? Yeah, well, I met Anna in um, 2010, so we sort of dabbled in, you know, can you make this? Can you make that? In 2011, 2012, um, and I was just sell- I was just like giving him away, giving things away to my friends and family, like for Christmas, and she was sort of my gift supplier, um, and that's how we started, and then. Um, she introduced me actually to other single moms and other women who had a lot of kids, like seven kids who live in these one and two bedroom apartments in the same, you know, area of town that she lives in. And they all had a similar need and they all had a sewing machine. And so I became really burdened for like thinking, how can this be happening like five minutes down the road from where I live? Um, and I, I want to do something about that. So Um, yeah, at the first it was a few of us ladies in their flats and between my house and theirs and going to little button and ribbon shops and, you know, that no one ever had enough stock of anything we wanted, or if they had it one day, they didn't have it the next day. And, you know, um, and remember, I know nothing at this point about textiles or even manufacturing for that matter. (laughs) So I was like, what brand of zippers, you know, and what is that? What do you, what is this seam? I mean, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Um, So uh, we just were on a big learning curve and it was very cottage industry like. I mean, it was very organic from my house, from theirs. She would drop off things at 10. uh, Anna, who introduced me to another lady, Noor, would come to my house at like 10 o'clock at night with like three kids on her motorbike and, you know, drop something off she had made. And and we should come in for tea and, you know, the kids played with my kids' toys and then they went home. Um, And so that was very much our early days. And you know, I didn't know even things about price points and, um, you know, how much to pay, what was fair and this and that. So we, we would just sit around and ask each other conversations like, well, how much, how much do I need to pay you for this? And, you know, well, how much do we sell this for? And, um, so it was in the midst of all that when I think it was actually my husband who, um, remember we had at that time, like a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so, um, at this point he's like, Amy, um, it's really noble what you're doing. It's great that you're trying to help these <laughs> ladies, but it's midnight and this is like the, you know, 13th night in a row it's midnight and you're in here tying ribbons and bows, you know, and like, what are you doing? You know? And yeah. he's like, um, and he has an MBA, which was very helpful in all of this. Yeah. And he said, um, I think you should like take a step back and consider 
either you go back to just helping them when you can, you know, and this is in a sense like a hobby of yours, or I think you need to think through what type of business model you want to put around this and actually go for it. Yeah. Um, so he challenged me at that point to consider what um, I wanted to do. And so that was in, this is in now about 2013. And I decided, all right, well, I think there's actually genuine interest in this. Um, I'm really like, it's, if I'm going to live this far away from everything I know and all of my family and friends, then it needs to be for a good reason. So yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. let's, uh, let's, you know, if I'm going to be here, then let's, let's do something that matters and that makes a difference. So that's when I decided to start it as a business. And, um, we've defined ourselves as a social enterprise and registered our company in Malaysia. And, um, that's how everything started going. That's so amazing. So, I mean, you guys have been around, gosh, five years now. I mean, and it's yeah. just amazing. And you've been there 10 years. I mean, can you believe that it's been that long? Yeah. Last week was our 10-year Malaysia-versary, we wow. call it. Um, and that's pretty wild to think through. Like, you know, we literally, like, left everything we knew 10 years ago. And um, here we are. <laughs> that's amazing. So in the early days, what were some of the products you guys were making in the early days? And obviously, how has that evolved over time? Um, I think our first product was a set of coasters. <laughs> and so that had straight lines. And we got really fancy once and added a little pouch to Ooh, it, which nice. took us a long time <laughs> to sample. And then we, I think we branched out. Um, we did a scarf because that was a straight line. And we did aprons. Um, because I thought that was, that was gifts I could give to like my mom and her friends um, yeah. at the time. And then we, because I was having kids in this season of life, we started doing um, baby slings and things like that. Um, yeah. So those are some of our first products. We yeah. still carry coasters, but they're, they're a lot better these days. Let me tell you, the lines are actually straight. <laughs> <laughs> I love, well, I mean, everything that you guys make is just so beautiful. So what does the design process look like now? Are you, you know, do you just kind of mesh sort of the inspiration of what you know think is what you think is you know popular quote-unquote popular or will mm -hmm. sell very well in America versus kind of giving the artisans some of their own free reign for design ideas or what does that process look like now well now um in our studio I have a team of seven um people most of whom are, are local Malaysians and um, one who is, who has studied in Canada, she studied design and another one who studied in Australia and they, so that's really helpful because they've actually seen things in another context. Yeah. Um, one of the things we struggle with, with our artisans is that they're from villages on the East coast. So even sometimes things they want to do compared to just the capital city is already a lot different. So yeah. then imagine from developing nation to like first world fashion, you know, yeah. is, a, is a big leap. Completely. So we tend to, um, we try to do things that are um, classic and that are not as trendy and, you know, things that are a little more timeless that yeah. can end up being staple products. That's something that you want to, you know, keep using or keep wearing. Um, and we've tried to tone down a few of the layers and the colors of some of what's natural for our artisans. Um, at the same time, yeah, I mean, it. we're also trying to highlight what it is. I mean, you know, we want to be true to the art form of what it is. So yeah. um, our team now, we, we just, when we want to do a new collection, we um, have a planning process where we do uh, swatches and we do uh, sampling a lot like most other design houses. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, we've progressed a ton since that point. I mean, just this last season, we finally started adding some different like PU leathers and canvas and um 
other types of materials that I've been wanting to do for a long time. But some of the struggle of living in even even in a big city, but it's a, still a developing nation is um, finding accessories and materials, you know, yeah. that you want to use. And we're also trying to be um, as eco friendly or sustainable as we can. Um, which is not really a concept that's that's highlighted right now in Malaysia. Yeah, I was I was wondering, like, is this something that th- that you've had either easier ish time with, or a little bit more of a challenge as far as you know when you really have begun expanding and you've added more artisans, and you know you're working with um, families in rural Malaysia where they're actually creating you know the textiles and the fabrics and all of that, you know. As you've kind of grown this, has it been a challenge or has it been easier? Or what has that been like to kind of explain what you're doing or and why you're doing it a certain way? Because, you know, obviously you guys are very much, I don't like to use this cliche phrase, but it's the only thing I can think of to say it, but like kind of bucking the trend, especially <laughs> probably with how other things are done in Malaysia, um, you know, in surrounding countries and, and, and cultures like that, you know, I mean, a lot of fast fashion is made in Malaysia. So, you know, what, what does that look like for, what does that look like for you guys? Well, let me preface all of this to tell you that this is the, Bati Boutique is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, fortunately I like a good challenge and, um, I've developed a lot of perseverance from living in another country and another culture for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the early days, it was really funny. Um, on the artisan side, I would go and say like, can you do this? I would, I would be literally in a, you know, in like the shack somewhere and there's hundreds, uh, maybe even thousands. I mean, there's so many of these blocks just hanging on the wall, on the ground. They haven't used them in 30 years. Like, you know what? And I would just love it. I would go in there and just stick it into wax and see what it looked like. And so I would find the random block I would like, and I would say, okay, can you do this in black and white? Like black is one layer, you know, you stamp it and then you dip it in the black it's done. And they would look at me like, why? You know, like they could not <laughs> believe that I actually just wanted black and white, you know, and I and they're like, oh, and they would tell me in the local language like um, that it, it's not nice. It's not pretty if it's like that. And I was like the whole wide world. They love black and white. Yes, <laughs> and it's so, true. Or great, you know, or something. And so um, it took them a while. I mean, on one level, this is where I think being a foreigner was um, easier at some level because they already expected everything about me you know they laughed at everything I did so you know and they thought I was odd but Malaysians are very accepting and curious and you know generous people so um I think I could get away with it a bit because they were like well she's already a little bit crazy so (laughs) you know (laughs) and then um and over time when they would see that we keep reordering or you know we have a larger order for them and things that they've you know now I think nowadays they don't they don't bat their eye at anything I request from them. Yeah. Um, on the product side, so in Malaysia, batik is really popular, and it's mostly used for clothing. Um, so you ha- on a one thing you need to know about batik is you have to use 100% fibers. Mm-hmm. So you can't use like a polyester. It has it has to be like cotton, 100% cotton, 100% silk. Yeah. Um, and those materials cost more, just raw fabric wise, than yeah. than blended um, fabrics or synthetic. So. Um, my friend, so it's used a lot here for clothing, especially formal wear and on high-end silks. I mean, you see some of the most beautiful, it's, it's like artwork, you know, but it's a dress. Um, so when my, my local friends started seeing that I wanted to make, um, 
you know, coasters or table placemats or homewares, you know, from this fabric, they looked at me like, maybe she doesn't know. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) she doesn't know. This is like, you know, for clothes or something. Um, And so a a few of the ones I, I kind of chuckle now because a few of my friends and my local friends who used to kind of give me a hard time about what we were doing, you know, now they their homes are decked out in our in our homewares, and so um, I think we're in a lot of ways we're we're bucking the system everywhere. You know, we're yeah. <laughs> we're trying to do something that's changing a mindset of artisans um, that really helps them progress and grow. We're trying to um, you know challenge the retail, and um, ha- we're trying to help Malaysians be proud of what their heritage and you know their culture is. And we're also trying to push against fast fashion and pay yeah. people, you know, fair wages and, you know, be kind to the environment. And all, all of that's bucking a system in every, every market that we're in. Hey, I know you are loving this conversation with Amy, but I want to take a quick break from talking with Amy and let me tell you about the awesome company that is helping to make this show possible. Our sponsor today is Sevenly. Sevenly was founded in 2011 with the mission of leading a generation toward generosity. Based on the core belief that people matter, the Sevenly team created a cause art movement consisting of seven-day cause campaigns, inviting customers to purchase advocacy art, apparel, and accessories that donate to nonprofits. Now widely recognized as one of the world's leading social good companies, to date, Sevenly has given back over $5 million to charities around the world. This holiday season, Sevenly is excited to offer you the opportunity to give back while also giving gifts to your loved ones. Check out their signature collections at sevenly.org and give back to the charity of your choice. Use the coupon code MOLLY10 for 10% off through the month of November. That's sevenly.org, S-E-V-E-N-L-Y dot O-R-G, and use that coupon code MOLLY10 for 10% off during the month of November. And if you haven't heard my interview with the co-founder of Sevenly, Jim Van Erden, you can go back and listen to episode 53 to hear it. It was one of my favorite episodes to date, and I know you will love it. Now, back to my conversation with Amy. So when you started Batik Boutique, were you passionate about ethical fashion? And was this something that you knew a lot about? Or was it kind of after the fact that you realize that this is a whole industry that's growing and changing and moving, you know, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So I didn't know anything about ethical fashion. Um, I mean, I never thought that far. I think I just never thought about it, you know? Um, and so I, what I started, the, the way I started Batik was out of wanting to make impact. Mm-hmm. So I like Batik and I mean, I love it now, but yeah. it's not like I even came at it from an art or design perspective or fashion at all. I came at this scope much differently than a lot of brands come at it. I came at it specifically wanting to bring impact to a community in need, to at-risk women, um, and wanted to create a business model around that. Um, since I've then learned many, many things about dyes and fabrics and design and you know all of this, um, and really started understanding one of the biggest partners that we work for um, is called Raven and Lily based oh, here in yes. Texas. Um, I yeah. love Raven and yeah. Lily. Yeah. So we're there. We actually are their Malaysia partner. So anything you buy from them that says that it's from the Malaysia collection is from Batik Boutique. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So it was actually my exposure with them and like how particular they were about the type fabrics they wanted and how much they wanted to know about you know, how much people were paid and all of this, that it really led me on a journey yeah. of trying to understand the same things because I, I knew we were being fair to people. That was, that was like a, that's non-negotiable for me. You know, um, I knew we were being like very generous and, um, 
but I then started understanding the impact of fashion and apparels in particular, you know, on the environment and, um, the chemicals that we use. And I think also as a mom of children, that was more, um, interesting to me and concerning too, because I'm thinking about what world are we creating, you know, mm-hmm. for the next generation, for yeah. our kids, both, both on a purpose and like life, you know, calling, but also on like, what, what earth are we leaving for them? You yeah. know? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Has that, how has that continued to evolve, like your passion and your drive for it, especially being in Malaysia? Um, you know, because I, I can only imagine that it's a, maybe a little bit more difficult to shop like 100% ethically in Malaysia or maybe or, or is it easier? I mean, you know, how has your how have your own buying habits changed over there? Well, I think, um, yeah, it's pretty non-existent here. Um, there's things you can do. Like I try, I do it more on like the, um, and our, what you can be more sustainable in is like, um, purchasing like produce and, you know, foods and stuff. So like I try to buy directly from farmers, things like that. We have, we grow a lot of our own, you know, produce here, um, animal products, that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, obviously I wear a lot of clothing from Butte Boutique. We, we don't manufacture a lot of clothing, um, but I have certain things made for me, um, you know, when we have remnants of fabric because we are trying to be low waste as well. Yeah. So we don't, we don't, we don't actually throw fabric out. Um, that's why we make smaller products. We've created lines that are accessory pieces. So we might have like a key fob or, you know, um, a passport holder or a small pouch or wallet because we can use the, the remnants for that. And so, um, That's we so try cool. to be, you know, as resourceful as we can. So, yeah. And then I, I generally shop things when I'm back here. I mean, I just was at Raven and Lily for a meeting and I, they were having a great sale and I just picked up a bunch of new things from them too. Um, yeah. So I think it's more, it's trying to, um, to look around us and say like, okay, you know, I realize maybe I can't do everything right now that is ideal yeah. to me, but I can, I can do something. I can change some habits though. So. Yeah. Um, and in Malaysia, yeah, it's a little more challenging, but, yeah. but I think, you know, it's doable. Yeah. Has your, you know, like you said, in, that your, your why in the beginning was that you wanted to help your friend. How has that changed and shifted as you've grown Batik Boutique? Like what is, is your why the same today as when it started or, or, mm. you know, what, it, what gets you up in the morning and motivates you each and every day to do, to do what you do? And like you said, like, and this is common among all entrepreneurs is business is hard and running a business is hard, but especially in this space. And especially, I mean, I just am amazed by the fact that you have three kids and um, you're running this, this company in Malaysia as well. So, you know, what is it, what's your why today? And how has that, has that changed at all since you started? I think my why has not changed at all. Mm. Um, I think I've realized a few things. Um, you know, for a couple of years when I was first doing this business, I, I'll call myself a purist. Um, and I was, I don't know if that I just, that's real a term or not. I just made this up, but um, it's how I process it. Um, I was really insistent on a certain, you know, on certain things. And um, it had like certain products had to be sewed just by these women. And it had to be like this and it had to be like that. And um, I got to the point where I realized um, because of the limitations and some of the different um, issues that we face, you know, socially and culturally in Malaysia, if I really wanted to make impact for this group of people and more, then certain things had to compromise. And so I kind of went to this other process where I 
um, I also didn't want to like sell out and, and not be true to everything that I, you know, started it for. So yeah. I struggled a bit a few months and I went through with a mentor of mine and a business coach and kind of process like, how could we have the most impact, you know, and then what are some of my non-negotiables? Like, what will I not do? You know, yeah. and I think if as an entrepreneur, um, you have to pivot, you have to be willing to change. Um, that's good. That's part of evolving and growing. But I think you also have to keep in mind, like, why am I doing this? And what are a few things that list should be pretty short too. But I mean, like, what are a few things I'm not willing to compromise on? Yeah. Um, you know, and then I realized for us, like I, if I really want to make impact, I need to think through, um, what's the best way to do that. Um, you know, so like now we work with various groups in Malaysia, um, we can take on more orders. So like, I wouldn't take certain orders if our production was full, but we've expanded our reach there. So we have more artisans to work with. And, um, you know, and I know the ins and outs of the pay of the people, the other people that we're working with and, you know, just things like that. Like, how can I actually scale the business side? Um, because the more business we have, the more, you know, we give um, benefits to the women that we work with who sew for us. Like they get childcare. Um, we teach financial literacy programs mm-hmm. to them. We've done things for their kids. You know, we've done dental treatments and the better our business is and the more profit we have, the more of these type programs we can run that really do benefit them. So, you have to think sort of just bigger than, um, you know, maybe the first model you set out to do. That's so cool. Now, your I know that your husband in the last couple of years he came on with you full time. He did. He and did. I think he. I think he's on his way out again, but <laughs> <laughs> he has been with us full time. <laughs> that is awesome. And so, what did that? What you know? What kind of spurred that? And I mean, I know you said that he was like, "Okay, you're up to midnight every night." Um, you know, was yeah. it just something that he just he kind of decided that he wanted to to join you, or what? It, what was that decision making process like? Well, we tried one time in the early days to work together because I was basically begging. Um, and then, um, and he did, and it just didn't work. It was kind of odd. And, um, I think some of it for him was at that time, it was just a bunch of women and he's sort of like, what am I doing? And, um, we didn't have as much growth in the business. So a lot of what I needed help in was more of like admin and he's not the administrative part of our marriage or family. So it was sort of like, none of this is a fit. Um, but he was willing to help. And so then, um, he went, he was working another company at that point. And, um, as we grew and I was able to start hiring our staff, we got to a point where, um, we needed some more of the skill sets that he had. And so he was one night we were, we were having a long, like heart to heart, you know, what are we really about kind of big picture conversation. And I said to him, if you could do anything, what would you do? You know, like if just what, what do you, what do you want to do? And he said, if I could do anything, I would help a small team of people, um, who started something that like really matters and I would help them scale and grow. <laughs> and I, yeah, <laughs> does thank he, you. Does he realize <laughs> what he, he knows what he said? Yeah. So I laughed um, and I said, Oh, I've got the perfect solution for you. <laughs> so, um, and it was interesting because I think, you know, there's timing, in our life, there's, um, conversations have to happen. There's things we all have to go through. And I think it just happened to be really at that season. It was a good time for us. And, um, he saw the business differently than he saw it more as this, you know, he saw it as more than it was before, which was this hobby, you know, and this thing I was doing, yeah. you know, on the side yeah. and, um, he saw the potential it could have, and he saw the work and, you know, the, the sweat equity that yeah. I put in there. And so, um, he came on board and it was a really, it was just a totally different experience this time. So, 
He's actually been with us the past two years. And in these two years that he's been with us, our revenue has doubled wow. two years in a row, which is pretty incredible. It's amazing. And, and we've um, trained some more women. Um, last year, we trained 25 women from this uh this flats area that we worked with and we've worked with more artisans you know we're I think we're like almost 180 artisans and um there's this capacity building and things that he was able to take on some of the business development and um backbone stuff to let me then do the things that I'm good at too and so it's been a really really sweet time for us and um a really good time yeah so that's so cool I love that and I I love how he he didn't even realize he was setting himself up for his own job (laughs) I know (laughs) I've got a plan for you. Hey, hey, didn't you didn't know that this is what you always wanted to do? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I have to ask, I would love for you just to kind of share what is it like? Because I I'm a mom to two kids. I have my daughter is four and my son Mm -hmm. is goodness. He's uh, yeah. So he was born in February 2016. So he's a little over a year and a half old. And, you know, what is it like raising young kids in Malaysia? Like, I have, I have to know. Like, what, what is it like <laughs> there? Do you? I mean, do you? I mean, everything from. I'm curious. Like, everything from. Do you see, you know, like a Malaysian doctors or midwives, OBGYNs, you know, to the care to, you know, what's it like? You know, do they play with the kids in the neighborhood? You know, what does that all look like? Yeah. Well, um, it's definitely progressed in the last ten years. I mean, that's the that's like developing nations just are developing so quickly compared right. to first world, you know? So like, I mean, it's very different. My oldest son is eight and my youngest is six months. So it's a, it's yeah. actually been a lot different of an experience, um, with that as well. Um, but Malaysia is great. Like it's, um, I actually say to most people who are in my season of life, yeah. I like living here during this season. Um, yeah. there's a lot more affordable help. Like with childcare, I have a woman who helps me cook and clean and she, um, I have, you know, like a part-time nanny for my daughter so that I can work. And she's a lovely woman. And, you know, it's at a, a rate that it's not even like, you know, affordable for, I, I couldn't have that lifestyle so much here ever. Yeah. Um, it's actually what em- empowers me to be able to do anything I do. And yeah, the culture, people really love children there and yeah. they generally have a lot of children. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they have around still like our generation, like anybody I'd say like 40 and under came from big families because a lot of them were still in the villages at that time. Yeah. And so then urbanization has happened. I mean, and I'm talking like 10 siblings, like, Oh big yeah. Yeah. So now they do quote small families, which is like four to five kids. Yeah. 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 Small families. So small families. Um, So because of that, everyone loves kids. And um, yeah, my doctor's been, I've had three different doctors because we lived in three different places each time the kids were born. Yeah. And, uh, but I've had a great experience at everywhere. I mean, it's different. And we live in Kuala Lumpur. We call it KL. Um, And KL uh, now, I mean, this is, you know, 10 years into it. Yeah. um, it's state of the art, like medical care. I mean, my husband's had LASIK surgery there. We've had, um, my birth experiences have been awesome. I mean, people sometimes ask me, well, how does that compare to, you know, having a baby in America? And I'm like, I I don't actually know. Yeah. Cause you've had all your children (laughs) Um, over there. Yeah. But my kids, um, they're normal kids. They go to, um, they all go to like local preschool at first. And so they can learn to speak Mandarin and Bahasa. And then they, you know, they're very much involved in the local culture, um, they love to celebrate the, the every we've got lots of diversity in Malaysia in particular, even compared to other countries. Yeah. So we've got 
Chinese, Malay, and Indian. Yeah. And they actually all three have a different religion attached to them. So there's, there's each one has their own like set of holidays and, yeah. um, Malaysia celebrates all of those. And so, you know, there's traditional wear for each one of them. And my kids wear, they wear all the clothes and they like all the food. And yeah, that's so it's, cool. It's, yeah. For them, it's very, I've had to realize it's part, it's interesting because one of the things I've had to grieve a bit as a mother, I think being from, you know, America is that I was expecting there's certain things when you become a mom, you think you're, you want your kids to experience, yeah. you know, like, and a lot of that for me was like, Oh, you know, like I had, or this was what I remembered a happy memory about childhood. I'd mm. love my kids to have that. And so a lot of that doesn't totally translate into my context. And mm. so it took me several years actually to really like come to terms with, um, are they okay? Or like, are they missing out? Or, you know, this FOMO game, Yeah. <laughs> or, um, are they going to be normal? Like, you know, are they, um, going to understand things? And so, I've really come to terms with now and all of that. I think, I think we're offering them this really amazing life. Like, oh, I don't even yeah. think they know how cool their life is right now. Oh um, yeah. And I, I hope one day they'll appreciate it. You know? So are they all like, I mean, well, obviously the baby's six months old, but you're older too. Are they, are they fluent in all, in all three languages, English, Mandarin, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce them. Malay. Malay. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say fluent, but they still take it at school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they can carry on a basic conversation with, with people there. Yeah. Now, how, yeah. how has it been, how has it been, you know, everything from making friends, you know, do you, are there, um, you know, do you make friends with just kind of anybody that you're in your neighborhood with? Um, I'm also curious, like, do you, have you been able to connect with other maybe Americans that are there working or is it just kind of you guys really, like you said, when you and your husband moved there, you were like, we're going to, we're going to eat the food. We're going to learn the language. We're going to wear the clothes. Like we're going to really just, we're going to learn as much as we can. What has that looked like for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also been really diverse and progressed over the years. We, When we first moved, we lived in a smaller town, and so many people didn't speak English. So that yeah. was where the thrust came from, like, well, if I'm going to live here, then I better learn what, how to talk to them. Yeah. So um, that was actually great for our language learning process um, because it's much e- easier in a, you know, when you're immersed yeah. in a context for that. So, And we literally would go out to, like, food courts. People eat out a lot at, like, food stalls and on the street and things. So we would just you know, go out there and like try every food and just strike up conversations with random friends. And then through some of my work and some of my husband's studies, like we, you know, we'd meet people along the way. So in that context, like I'd say literally all of our friends were local. Um, there also just weren't very many foreigners 10 yeah. years ago in the city. So, yeah. um, then, I mean, if you fast forward to now, we have a very interesting life with our kids. They go to a, it's a British international school. So their teachers oh, wow. generally are from the UK or Australia mm-hmm. and they have local teaching assistants and about, about half of the school are, are Malaysian kids and the other half are expats and people, you know, just doing different work like us here. Um, so it's very diverse. I mean, I think their school has almost 60 different nationalities represented and wow. like 900 kids, you know, um, and so my life now is very, I mean, it's, it's just extremely global. Um, you know, we've got friends from all over the world and along the way, it's really funny. I've got a few Aggie friends there now, which is fun because I haven't yeah. had that ever in the past. And I'm like, how did you get to Kuala Lumpur? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got that, like Molly, my friend Molly that you've yeah. met, she's, um, she's an Aggie too. So it's really fun. And then, um, we, in, we actually go to a church here in the um, city. That's a church plant out of the UK. And so wow. a lot of people going there are expat um, as well with different 
um, projects and companies they're working with is, and then, you know, majority are still Malaysian. So um, I'd say our life is very international now compared to our early days. Um, I'm, I'm really appreciative it was that way in the early days because it helped me really um, connect and adjust and understand deeply like the culture and the people. But I'm also really thankful in this season of life that, you know, we just have exposure from people of all, all different places. And that, that's just like a really awesome opportunity. Oh, yeah. And like you were saying, I mean, the things that you're teaching your kids just because just through life is so that's so cool. I just think it's amazing. And I just think, yeah, your kids are going to grow up and whether they decide to stay in Malaysia or wherever they end up in the world, like, I mean, they're just going to have such an amazing experience and an amazing childhood under their belt that's going to be so unique and give them so much um, just knowledge and wisdom, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's gonna, yeah. I think really put them in a different, a different place than their, their peers. Yeah. It's interesting. They're, they're cute now that they're getting older. Like they, I've noticed this trip in particular, they're really processing, like, um, they're asking me things on signboards and, you know, on this highway that I don't, I just like take for, I don't even notice them. I take for granted because I've seen them my whole life, you know? And I realize like now that they can read, you know, they're asking yeah. me questions. I'm like, huh? Or they'll say, you know, they really, my oldest son right now is in a stage where he really wants to identify with his roots in Texas. And, yeah. you know, so it's just, it's really fascinating to sort of watch them process the world, you know, through their eyes. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's super unique. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I think that's so cool. Um, Amy, it has been so fun getting to talk to you and just I really love hearing how you kind of you made the best of of a situation where you just kind of were like, I'm here, I'm doing this. And and then you saw an opportunity to, to make a change. And so I just I think it's so cool what you're doing. And I I love connecting with you. And um, I love I mean, the, the products that you guys put out there are just beautiful and so unique and so I just can't wait to continue to see um you know everything that you guys you know put out in the future and and how the business continues to grow and the lives that you're impacting so thank you so much yeah Molly thanks for having us and um, or me and thank you for um, helping share our story it's really great to help people get connected um, on the U.S. to see how they can support and get involved and um, just know more of the inside of what we're doing so Thanks for this um, opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. And for everybody listening, I am going to make sure to have um, all of the links to how to connect with um, Batik Boutique in the show notes. Um, but you guys, it's batikboutique.com correctly, and that's B-A-T-I-K boutique.com and you can shop their beautiful 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 items seriously they make so here as we are heading into the holiday season and you're like I want to get my friend or my mom or my sister a really unique gift this is the place that you definitely need to check out because like I like you said so much of what you guys carry is just so classic and you know especially even some of the home kind of you know the table linens and things like that like those are the types of things that become heirlooms well Amy thank you so much I am um, like I said it was a pleasure to talk with you and uh, thank you for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me Molly oh, I just loved this conversation with Amy I was so encouraged by her story and Honestly, it really kind of made me want to pack up my things and move to another country. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know what I mean. I can't wait to continue to watch what Amy and Batik Boutique do to 
develop these artisan partnerships in Malaysia and the opportunities that she's going to continue to create for these amazing people. Don't forget to use that coupon code of Molly20 for 20% off at batikboutique.com. That's B-A-T-I-K boutique.com. And I'll have all the links in the show notes for you as well. And thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button, make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you mind taking a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. Reviews also help to show other potential listeners what this show is all about. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast or tag me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Another huge thank you to our sponsor to this week's podcast, Sevenly. Be sure to use that coupon code. Molly 10 for 10% off on your purchase through November. Visit them at sevenly.org. That's S E V E N L Y.org. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs> <laughs>